0: Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and I'm once again joined by Jason and Rachel this week. Hello, Rachel and Jason.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm good. Good afternoon
2: on a wonderful rainy day.
0: Yes, it's nice and gloomy and rainy outside, but we're going to have a hopefully a lively conversation today in our nice, warm houses. So we'll... (laughs) Uh, we're going to be talking today. We're going to be go, going through a, a text of Colossians and Colossians three, one through seventeen. If you want to follow along with us, but I thought today that we do so in a little bit of a, a different fashion than we normally do. Uh, we're going to we're going to utilize a process of of kind of reading and studying Scripture that is. Um, Something that that you could do on your own, but it's a process of and, and kind of a technique of reading scripture that I learned from a professor and author by the name of Dr. Anna Carter Florence. And basically, what you do in this practice is you focus on the verbs in a text, and I want to talk a little bit about that and, and the kind of the practice of doing this and some of the benefits of this at the beginning here, and, and then we'll get into Colossians 3. And one of the things that I think is, is interesting about uh, Dr. Florence's approach, uh, she is, she's the Peter Marshall Professor of Preaching at Columbia Theological Seminary. And I don't know what who or what Peter Marshall means or who that is or what that professorship means, but it sounds very important and and like a big deal. It's a long title. So that's her title at, at Columbia. But she also has a theater background. And so she brings a lot of that's one of the things that's where I started going a minute ago. One of the things that I appreciate about her approach and about the ways that she kind of approaches preaching and and reading scripture together that she approaches it kind of from a theater background and and Jason I know that you have a theater background as well and I know you've said that has helped you a lot even in in your counseling work is is the work that you kind of have done in theater stuff and so I think she kind of brings the same approach to to preaching and to scripture but so I wanted to ask you a question here at the beginning, Jason, because she, she talks in a lot of her work about how it was her, her time in a repertory theater company. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you are. Uh, that kind of informed a lot of these thoughts that I'm going to get into and in, in kind of setting up this practice. So, can you? Can you tell us, Jason, what is a what is a repertory theater company for us non-theater people?
2: Well, a repertory theater company is basically perform a series of either rotating or regular shows all the time. And they may have like two or three uh, different shows going on at once, uh, but they usually rotate. And so if you miss it one go around, they will probably be bringing it back around, you know, pretty soon and so you can and so basically as a, as an actor in a repertory theater company uh, you get the opportunity to perform uh, you know a lot of different things um, and, and, and you can also pre- you know really have the opportunity to perform the same characters or the same roles over and over and over again and really learn how to grow into that and so it's in a way, it can be as repetitive as the actor wants it to be, but it can also be as novel and as unique as the actor wants it to be. Uh, it can be a lot of fun it's a lot of it can be a lot of hard work, but like I said, you can either get really you can you can kind of dig into one role, one part, one character, and get really good at that, but you can all, you also have the opportunity to do different stuff, so you're not doing the same role necessarily every single night of the week
0: yeah. That's that's good. That's helpful. And so part of the idea then too is that you're you're doing all this with the same group of people, right? Over over time, yes. and for the most part, yeah, yeah. And so uh, Dr. Florence kind of takes takes her experience with that and and basically says that when it comes to engaging scripture and and discussing and exploring scripture together in community. Uh, she says that is sort of the work, the work that a repertory theater company is doing is the work that she believes the church or a community of faith should be doing with, with scripture. Um, and so this is a quote for, of hers that I want to read kind of connected to that. She says, faith communities, when we're at our best, do much the same work as, this, as one of these theater companies. When we enter texts, scripture... Together, over time, with people with whom we share a life, space, and a community, we're able to do the work better. We're able to enter the text more deeply and ask harder questions and hang in there with each other better than we would if we entered the text just from a positional or a doctrinal standpoint. For me, it has been a helpful metaphor because it describes what I try to do as a teacher when I'm in the classroom or leading a workshop. It's to create a space where... Before we decide what we think a text means, all of us can gather around it as a group interested in what it might show us. Before we do that work, we have to be willing to experiment and hang in there and open doors and explore what's possible. That's work that happens best over time in a community. And so, uh, so she actually talks about a lot of this in a book that she wrote called Rehearsing Scripture, Discovering God's Word in Community. And it's about the benefits of exploring, as it says, exploring God's word in community, um, hanging in there, opening doors, exploring what's possible, all of those things as it relates to scripture. And one of the practices that she recommends for that is this idea of going through a text, going through a scripture, and focusing for, for, first and foremost on the verbs. And she talks about how typically when, when we go through a scripture, we, the nouns tend to be what stand out. Uh, The nouns tend to be what we focus on. The nouns also tend to be where we uh, have disagreements, where we have conflict, all those types of things. And she proposes this idea of focusing on the verbs as a way to kind of approach Scripture from a little bit of a different angle, a little bit of a different standpoint, and to see what Scripture is doing. Where is the action in Scripture, and how does that help show us um, maybe something different and help us to explore it from a little bit of a different angle? Especially when we are doing that in community, and so I've had the opportunity to to go through this when when she has led this this practice a couple of times at at workshops as she mentioned even in that quote. We've done this at least once, I think, on a Wednesday night, and and so I thought it would be this would be a good time to uh, to do that with this text today. Just there's a lot of verbs in this text in Colossians, so I think it's a good one for us to to kind of walk through this with, and and I think it'll be. Uh, helpful, uh, interesting, uh, perhaps, and again, is, is a way that, that people could engage a scripture or go through a scripture uh, even on their own. And so, like I said, we're going to do that with Colossians 3, 1 through 17 today. And so what we're going to do, Rachel, in just a minute, is going to read that text in its entirety for us to, to kind of get us started. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to go through each verse, and each of us is going to Kind of take a verse, read it again, pick out the verbs from that, and and begin a conversation about that verse uh, based on on those verbs. And we're just gonna kind of see see what we notice, see what the verbs lead us towards in in some observations and some thoughts. And as as uh, she said in that quote, we're gonna open doors and explore and see what we find. All right, so Rachel's gonna read it for us, and then we'll walk our way back back through it.
1: Colossians 3, 1-17 If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
0: Thanks, Rachel. So again, you know, I was just reminded, even in, when reading, when you were reading through that of how this is probably a passage that many, many of our listeners know at least pieces of it fairly well or have heard a lot of times. And so again, I think just trying to, to take a little bit of a different approach is is helpful in in, in coming at it again. Uh, and again, sort of taking that, that theater company mentality of if, if I'm working with, with a text that I've, uh, that I've worked with several times before, what's something new that I can bring to it this time? What's something new that I can find within the script, within the text this time and and bring that out in in the way that we explore it together. And, and so I think this is, this is a helpful, a helpful way to do that. So we're going to, we're gonna walk our way all the way back through this this text and go through all of it. Some verses we may we may spend more time in conversation than than others, but Jason's gonna get us started there. Jason, why don't you just pick us up with verse one? What are the verbs that you that you see that, that we find in verse one? And what do those make you think about? What do they make you potentially want to explore?
2: So verse one reads, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Um, And the verbs here are, have been raised, keep seeking, and is seated. Um, Which actually, in, in my version, I'm reading the New English translation, it actually puts a comma between is and seated. I don't know that that makes a exegetical difference, but it it basically reads where Christ is comma seated at the right hand of God um, but nevertheless have been raised um, you know that is it's something that is I, I don't remember the exact grammatical uh, verb tense, but it's something that ha- happened in the past but still has implications. For today, um, and so when I when I see a phrase like that in this verse, um, I think of of the fact that that as I'm reading this, but but all, not just as I'm reading this, but as even the original audience was reading it, that God had already had already done this, that they had been raised. It's not something we have to earn. It's not something that we are waiting for. It's not something that we are, um, you know, having to prepare for. It's something that has been done. Um, And raised, it, it, it doesn't say saved. It doesn't say, you know, sanctified. It doesn't say, you know, other words that we might think that it means. And so the fact that it says raised as opposed to one of those other words, means to me that there's something special about that. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it means to be raised as opposed to something like sanctified or saved or, uh, or made righteous or something like that, um, which if I were Paul, those might be words that I might be inclined to use, but he uses the word raised here um and i think that's important i don't know the full i haven't really thought enough about this or looked into it enough to to have anything you know deeper about that but but i think there is something special about that word raised and then keep seeking so we are seeking so even though we have been raised paul encourages us and the colossians specifically to keep seeking keep looking for that keep seeking the things above um so something has already been done, but keep, it, keep seeking implies that there's something still to be done. There's still more to come. There's still more that we need to be looking for. And then finally, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, so when I think of the word seat and, uh, you know, seat as a verb and seated it is seated. Um, what What is that like present perfect tense or something? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think of that as as there's something that has been finished, that has been concluded. We sit because the role that we have played in some way is done. And so Jesus has done his part. Christ has done his part um, and is now seated at the right hand of God. So those were a lot of words to talk about. Not a very long verse, but those are some of my thoughts about about that. So have been raised. Keep seeking and is seated
0: yeah see there it took us only one verse and I think that shows the benefit of this practice is that it it helps you dig into the content of of one verse in maybe ways that that we wouldn't wouldn't always think to or kind of try to otherwise and and so I, I appreciate your thoughts there I do think that's interesting that you raised that raised that um, <laughs> about the word raised because just as you were saying that, I hadn't really made this connection, but I think that connects back to the end of chapter two, because at the end of chapter two, he says, you have died with Christ. And he goes on to say a couple things about that. And now at the beginning of chapter three, he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. So it's this connection back to some things that he did that he's been mentioning in chapter two already.
2: Right. And, and I think that that's an important connection. And I didn't think to look back at chapter two, in preparation for this. So I didn't make that connection, but I do think that's important because obviously chapters and verses did not exist. Yeah. Paul in, didn't say when chapter Paul originally three wrote the letter. <laughs> right.
0: Right. And I do think it's significant that there's a comma between is and seated that, that you mentioned there because, and you know, I think this is when you, when you get into this practice, you can get kind of legalistic about it. Right. Which I don't think is the point of like, what is, and isn't a verb. And that's not the point. Um, but, but I do think like if you take the word is for instance, as a verb, um, is, is a state of being verb. And I think that's significant here because it's, Paul is saying to me where Christ is like, this is like, there is work that Christ has done for us, but this is where he is. And he is seated at the right hand of God. So they're both connected and separate, I think. And I think part of that is going to come back in later in the text. Um, which again, I think this practice sometimes help us, helps us see connections between different parts of parts of the text. And so that's Christ is his state of being where he is, is at the right hand of God. And there he is seated. His work is done, as you said.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. And, uh, I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned that, but it, it may be what, and, and I don't know if this is a decision of the translators or or something that maybe the the original Greek text includes that you know I don't have immediate access to, but uh, there there is something important about that comma if they chose to put it there um, because you're right, it does indicate a state of being, and then the part after the comma just des- you know simply describing his you know, Christ's position.
0: All right. That's good. Rachel, we, we kicked around verse one a lot. Do you have any of your thoughts on any of that?
1: Let's move on. We got 17 verses.
0: I know it. So I was going to say, <laughs> I don't want to do that for every verse. So, so just jump in if you have a thought, but I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs>
1: Thanks.
0: Um, so I, I've got verse two. I gave Jason the, the difficult one with four verbs in verse one. Verse two just has one verb. Uh, verse two says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And so the there again, we have the verb set. I think it was a different verb in in your text, in, in your version, in verse one, Jason. But in mine, it's the same. It's the word set in verse one and the word set in verse two. But interestingly, in verse one, it's set your hearts. And in verse two, it's set your mind.
2: Well, and, and I think the different translations were probably following the same thought process, sure. because whereas I had keep seeking in verse one, I have keep thinking in verse two.
0: So there we have that sort of a contrast between set your heart in verse one, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Um, I don't really have much to add on that verse, except there's that connection back to, to verse one and what it is that we are, where is our focus, where is our attention, and where are we where are we keeping our, our heart, our thoughts, our, our minds? That's really all that I had for verse 2.
1: I think for set, it communicates that this is a deliberate decision. It's a, a something that you do on purpose. You choose to set your mind. Like you're like, okay, I could be all worried and think about all this other stuff, but I'm going to choose this frame of mind and set it. That Lock it in.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: So I have verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So died is a verb. And hidden. Um, so the concept here is that we have died. Died to sin. Our old life is gone. It's hidden. Cannot be found. Christ is, has covered it up.
0: What do we think about that idea of being hidden?
2: I think the verb tenses here may bear some mention as well. So in mine, it says have died and is hidden. Yeah. So again, have died being, what, past perfect or something like that. Um, and and so it's looking at, again, in my mind, I think of that as something that has happened in the past, but still has you know implications for today and is hidden. That I mean, that's a continuous thing. So it, uh, for you, have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's it's ongoing. So, meaning that my it's not that my life doesn't exist, but that its existence is obscured by the glory of God. I I don't know. I think there there may be more to it than that, but that's what comes to mind.
1: And I think it's the old life that's hidden. Right. Like your old way of life is no longer found in you. There's a new way of life that's found where now somebody looks at you and sees Jesus.
2: But it doesn't say that it's disappeared or that it is dead or no longer there. It says it is hidden. Well, why? Why do you think? Why do you see that? Or why do you think that word choice of hidden as as opposed to? Because Paul uses the language of, you know, death to signify you know, the transformation of a Christian elsewhere. Why do you think he uses the word hidden?
1: Well, I think it's immediately connected to the died right before it. So your way of being, the, the way that you used to live and think is now dead. It's hidden behind Christ.
0: Well, I think it, it also, I think that potentially is connected to the, to the next verse as well. So Jason, you've got the next verse. Take us, take us to verse 4, Jason, because I think there's a connection there as well.
2: When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory. So, the three verbs here are is, who is your life, referring to Christ. Appears, also referring to Christ. Then you too will be revealed. So, we have is and appears both referring to Christ and then will be revealed in glory with him is referring to you, the reader, which I find interesting. So again, will be revealed is something that has not yet happened. Not even it's, it's not a continuous thing by any means, but it hasn't happened at all. Um, Appears projecting into the future and is current something that's current so is appears referring to christ will be revealed referring to the reader i don't have anything more to say to well, that well i think that's connected <laughs> but,
0: back to the idea of hidden right that that it's this there's this connecting language of something being hidden that's true. and obscured and now it's appearing <laughs> it's being it's being right. revealed it's it's almost like a um it's almost like a a magic trick type language, almost if you want to think about it in those terms, of of something being kind of concealed or revealed until just this right moment when it's going to to appear. Um, yeah,
2: that's good.
1: I like that it says Christ is your life, like dude. Yeah, that's some hardcore <laughs> language right there. Christ is your life.
2: How how radical right. of an idea well, is that? Even still today, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so we keep going to verse five. Then five says, "Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature: sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry." And so I think again, there's some more connective stuff here. "Put" is is the first word I have, which I think conveys. This is, I think, maybe this is part of the benefit of doing it in community. As Rachel kind of mentioned earlier, that, that word set has with it this idea of intentionality. And, and I think put does as well. Put to death. This is something I am charged to do um, with, with purpose and intentionality, to put these things to death. And then he says, what I'm supposed to put to death is whatever belongs. So the next verb would be belongs. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature would belong be a verb it would be right something belongs
2: yep belong is definitely a verb i thought
0: it i was i was assuming it i was i was reading it as such if something it's it's an action um we'll, we'll count it as one and so that idea that that these these aspects of of my earthly nature I think Paul, or what, well, part of what I hear in that is that these are not things that belong to my life that has now been revealed in Christ, to, to connect it back to earlier. These are things that belong to my earthly nature. And so they are not part of my identity in Christ. And so that's part of, I think, the idea of putting them to death is, is getting rid of things that belong to my earthly nature, not belong to my life that is revealed in Christ.
1: So verse 7 says, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. So walked and living, or were living. Um, So yeah, walking, I guess, is just this common biblical metaphor for the action of experiencing life in faith. And you're alive. (laughs) So we keep getting this language of like dead and raised. And so you used to be living in these things is the point that Paul is getting across. They used to be alive. You used to be living them out, walking them. This was what you were marked by day by day.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then in my translation, uh, I was kind of thrown when you talked about walk, but it makes sense. Uh, in my translation, it doesn't use that. It just says, you also lived your lives in this way at one time when you used to live among them. Um, but but I, I like your way of talking about it better regarding walking. Yeah, and just to
0: come back quickly, we skipped verse six there. But verse six says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so the the, the verb coming there, would, would be as we've talked about verb tense that would be looking forward so again we have this this idea of things that have already happened things that are happening now and and then he says because of these the wrath of God is coming in in the future and so that's looking ahead to something that would be coming later um, and then he goes back to this idea of you used to walk in these ways, so now it's past tense and and so there's all these connective threads about what was ha- what has happened in the past. And I think that what that kind of makes me think of is all these things that God has done for us in Christ, hopefully have an impact of, of the ways that we go about purposefully walking and living and, and carrying out our life today.
2: So verse eight then reads, but now put off all things as anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. So the, the verb here is put, or, or if you want to combine it with the, the preposition off, put off. Um, but now put off all such things. So it's, it, it's very clearly saying these, these are the things that should not be on you, that should not be part of you, that, you know, to kind of tie it to verse seven, that should not be living, that you should not be living with. Um, And all of those things are you know I look at those words that are written there and I know this is kind of getting away from the verb portion of things but I think this is an important point anger rage malice slander abusive language from your mouth all of those things to me are about feelings and emotions and 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 specifically feelings and emotions towards others but maybe also towards myself um and so we're putting off those um destructive emotions and those emotions that if unencumbered and and if not addressed properly can you know separate a person from their community can separate a person from their um you know from god essentially
0: that's good And that I think connects with, so where we'll go. So I'm going to take verses nine and 10 together because it's one sentence. It says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so for verbs, we have lie, Uh, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off, uh, your old self taken off. So again, we have this idea, just as Jason was just talking about, of things that we have removed from ourselves, things that that we have discarded and have put on and that's
2: the same. And that's written the same as uh, in verse eight, put off. Yeah. Whereas it had put off in verse eight. It's put off in my translation again in verse nine. Yeah.
0: Same same idea. Uh, and put on the new self. So put on is the verb there. And then we have this verb phrase of is being renewed, which is being renewed in the, in the knowledge, uh, in knowledge and the image of its creator. And, and that, that phrase again, connects with all this stuff about when things are happening, right? This is something that is happening to me currently, that my new self is being renewed, that it's a, it's a continual idea, and and that word is keeps showing up about that Christ you know is uh, that Christ is our life and now this is something that is happening that I, my my state is one of ongoing and continual renewal and and that's what I'm called to to pursue as as we're called to put off the things that are destructive and put on the things that are formative and. And that I think that process helps us to to continually being in this state of of renewal and regeneration, and it connects with that concept I think of of resurrection and of being being raised and being someone who is experiencing resurrected life in Christ hmm.
1: I love that verse, I think I discovered that as a new theme verse for our youth too, because we're talking about life transformation. And so the key verb there is renewed, um, that there's a process that's going on where you're being formed into the image of your creator. Like, that's cool. We're becoming more like the God who made us.
0: Well, and even I think it's that, that, that's sort of a juxtaposition in a sense that he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed. And so it's not like I can put on this new self and now I'm done, right? Uh, there's this idea of there's, there's always growth and maturation and, and it's never – it's an ongoing process. And that's, that's an interesting, I think, kind of juxtaposition that I'm putting on the new self, which the new self itself is being renewed.
1: I just got this image of imagine that you got to trade in your old car and you were given a brand new car. And so it's super shiny. Everything is new. It has that great new smell and everything, but this type of car is the car that instead of aging and breaking down and wearing out, it gets better. (laughs) So the cars of the future, they improve themselves. As they age the paint gets shinier (laughs) the engine runs cleaner the mileage gets better this inside of the car smells better and the carpet gets cleaner like wouldn't that be so cool if cars worked like that
2: I cannot conceive of such a thing that is just a bizarre thought in any regard I mean cars certainly but I can't think of anything else for which that's the case that's a wonderful so
1: thought. it sounds like an impossibility but it's true with the gospel because this is yeah. what's happening in our lives like we get to put on the new self and then the new self keeps getting better through the work of the holy spirit in us
0: and i think jason i want you to take us to to verse 11 here in just a second but i, I want to just before we get to verse 11 i just want to say this that i think <laughs> this is a process that i know for many people may seem like it may seem over tedious for some. it's It's a much kind of longer process than many of us are kind of used to as we go through this. But to me, all of these are reasons why it's helpful because of what it helps us to see in all these things. But I think for me, it really kind of coalesces around verse eleven. And so I just want us to kind of pay attention to verse 11. I'm going to I'll set up verse 11 that way with at least my thoughts, not to put pressure on on the verse or our thoughts around it. <laughs> But I just want to set it up that way. So Jason, get us, get us into verse 11 and we'll hear your thoughts first. And then I'll, I'll say why I, why I mentioned
2: it. Well, just before I get into 11, just to kind of follow up on, on what you said. Yes, there may be some tediousness to this, but you could say that about anything that I think is meditative. Sure. Yeah. And I see this act as very meditative and I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, So if, so if 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 someone could go into it with that frame of mind, I think it will feel less tedious and more meditative.
0: Yeah, that there is a that there is a time for tedium, and there is a time when tedium is right. is helpful and helps us. The idea is exploration and, and digging, which which in, implies taking taking some time. So
2: okay, so verse eleven. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, the only two actual verbs in that verse are both the same word, is. Um, but those, those the, the two instances of is are functioning really in, op- in opposition to one another, and it's because of the word neither after the first is. So here there is neither. And then Paul gives examples of ways in which his society tried to divide people up and tried to assign righteousness or, uh, or, or unrighteousness or assign um, goodness or badness uh, to different people within his society. So we have Greek and Jews often seen as opposites, circumcised, uncircumcised, often seen as opposites. I don't know that this was necessarily opposites, but certainly compared to the Roman populace, barbarian and Scythian would be seen as opposite to, you know, say, you know, Roman citizens. And then you have slave or free again, opposites. So he's taking the concepts of identity really you know this the, the be verb of who am I am I a Greek or am I a Jew am I circumcised or I, am I uncircumcised implied am I a Roman or am I barbarian or Scythian am I slave or am I free and he's saying that here you know going back to um, to the earlier verses talking about in the kingdom of God there is none of that And then he concludes it with, but Christ is all and implied is in all. And so that be verb right there is that Christ now defines your identity. Your identity is not defined by Greek Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, or implied Roman, slave or free. Your identity is defined by Christ.
1: Amen. So
2: I I agree that that all of this turns on on this verse. And that I think is the primary point that Paul is probably trying to make in this passage. And I think today we could look at that, not to say that everything has to be applied to modern eyes, but we could apply that to, you know, American or Mexican or Japanese or Kenyan. Uh, you could apply it a Republican or Democrat. You could apply it to, you know, Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian. Um, you could apply it to black and white. You could apply it to rich or poor, um, you know, Southerner, Northerner, whatever. However you want to divide up society. Uh, I think you could apply the same verse to those kinds of divisions today as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know we've so we've been talking about this word is, which in my in my version it comes up three times in this in this one verse, uh, which as as you've already as you brought out there, Jason. I think you said it was implied kind of the third time in your translation. In mine, it's yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's Christ is written. all
2: and in all is how it's right.
0: Written. In the in the NIV, it is there directly three times, and and so again to think of that idea of of state of being, and and as we've been talking about all this stuff of verb phrases and tenses that are looking back, that are looking forward, that have to do with what's going on right now. And then in verse eleven, so he's got we've got all those kind of looking at different directions. And then in verse eleven, Paul says, "Here," um, which even that concept of like, so what, what, what is here? Where is here? What, what is what is that getting at? Here, there is, which again, so it's the state of being. There is, and none of these, as you said, none of these divisions exist. Here, there is simply Christ, and Christ is all, and Christ is in all, and. And I do think this is one, I think this is a great example of a verse where we get, we get hung up on the nouns, um, but, but, but I think it, it connects so well with everything else that, that Paul has been talking about. And just that phrase, like when I, when I typically read this verse, it's the Jew, Gentile, circumcised, or circumcised that kind of catches my attention first. But, but that's kind of what I was getting at earlier is when, we, when we've been going through this text this way, the phrase that immediately jumped out to me this time was, here there is. Like here's what exists now because of all these other things that I've been saying to you, all these other divisions, all these other things that that could divide us up, all these other things that we could identify as that's, that's not what there is here in this place with everything else that's going on around us here. There is Christ and Christ is all and Christ is in all that's it.
2: (laughs) That's it.
1: So that's this special distinction that the Christian community has because in the outside world everybody is divided into these categories and so he's making the contrast of but within the Christian community for those who are in Christ we are all just in Christ <laughs> that is our designation um and so that community isn't divided
0: and it's this isn't the point of what we're doing here but i think it always goes without saying or at least sometimes i think it goes without saying but i think it's worth mentioning a lot of times in with this verse is that this doesn't destroy or belittle, like individuality. I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. Um, and Paul talks in plenty of other places about how people are going to, some people are going to think that one day is sacred and another is not. Some people are going to think some things are okay to eat and drink and, and others aren't. And, and like Paul, Paul seems to be very okay with even people coming to their own decisions about how to practice their faith. Um, but it's this idea of, of finding our commonality and finding our ultimate identity and, and connection in Christ and not in any of these other kind of worldly things.
1: So can I take us to verse 12?
0: Take us to verse 12.
1: Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on. That's our on verb once there. once again. Yeah.
0: Now mine says clothe, but that same idea of what are you what are you going to put on as opposed to what you've taken off, as he's repeatedly said.
2: So it, it's really verse twelve is is very much in contrast to verse eight, where it says, put off you know, the anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth, and then in twelve, put on a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience.
0: Do we see any specific contrast between those lists?
2: Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, the the list in verse 8 represent very destructive emotional responses, primarily towards others, but could also be towards the self. And I see the opposite there in verse 12, where they are also emotional responses to others, but these are emotional responses that build people up and that bring people together and that demonstrate the love that, you know, that God wants us to have for each other and for ourselves. So yeah, I think there's there's a direct and very stark contrast uh, in in those two verses.
1: And it's the same number in both lists. Both of them list five characteristics. So it would be interesting to compare those and say is it supposed to be a direct opposite? It seems like they could be like I don't think they're direct opposites, but it could be in some way that they are antidotes or ways of overcoming these other struggles.
2: You know, I think you're right. As as a therapist, I often see people come in to therapy and especially when I'm doing relational therapy, And there is a lot of anger, rage, malice, slander, and abusive language. And I've known for a long time, and what I try to help my clients see, is that the way to not only to be better, but to heal the wounds from those are things like having a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and, and patience. So all of those are essentially what I'm... Trying to help my clients practice more of in relationship with each other and it's and it 's difficult because of the wounds of you know the, the prior behaviors but but yeah I, th- I I see a very strong correlation there
0: good stuff all right on to verse thirteen we'll We'll maybe go a little quicker through some of these last ones, but there there may be important stuff for us to hit heres but um So verse 13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So the first one is bear, to bear with each other, which is an interesting interesting verb. Uh, And I think, again, is very intentional, is very purposeful, and implies to me this is going to take some work. Um, and just as those other two lists that we just talked about, as you, as you uh, both mentioned there, they have to do with how we treat other people. So does this word bear, right? And it's about that. Sometimes it may, may take, it may be difficult to me as part of what that word implies. To bear with someone seems to imply that this is this is going to take some work. It may at times be a struggle, um, but it's going to be it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worthwhile. And then the rest of them have to do with forgiveness. Forgive one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you, forgave. So there it is in the past tense again, so that God's forgiveness is something that has already happened. It is in the past tense. And that because of that, that is how I am called to, to respond to others who may have a grievance, uh, who, who I may have a grievance against, to, to offer them forgiveness just as God has offered it to me
2: yeah the the word bear one another or as as mine says bearing with one another um that does have that connotation of this isn't going to be easy that that it requires um well I, I think about the the phrase grin and bear it just put up with it endure it um but but then it says and forgiving one another if someone happens to have complaint against anyone else. So so the bearing with one another is is part of it. That may be the first part, but the second part is forgiving. Uh, And I don't think that's a coincidence either.
0: Yeah, all of it implies that that communal life may be messy at times. And it's gonna be difficult. It's not sitting around a campfire, you know, singing kumbaya and being, you know, everything being this perfect picture of of harmony all the time. There's going to be times when, when there's difficulty and struggle, which is the whole reason for, for some of that list earlier, right? Like of, of patience. Like patience implies there are going to be things that are difficult and, and things that I'm going to have to bear with, um, yeah. There are gonna be
2: disagreements, and, there are going to be negotiations and compromise that have to happen. There's gonna be misunderstandings and miscommunication. There may be hurt feelings, there may be you know, even even in the best of circumstances, there there is gonna be a lot of of interpersonal difficulty. Yeah.
0: Which I think leads us leads us towards verse fourteen then. So Rachel, take us to verse fourteen.
2: And above
1: all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So he just said it's not going to be perfect harmony, but that's actually the goal. <laughs> um, so Well,
0: I mean, perfect, not perfect harmony, not in this kind of ideas, we would sometimes picture it of like no conflict, nothing ever goes wrong, you know, that kind of thing. But it is, yeah, it is love that binds everything together in perfect unity.
2: I also see this as, as a description of the ideal of the goal, but as with all ideals, we're not going to reach it, you know, in kind of real world circumstances necessarily that, that this is something that should, that we should pursue, but I don't see this as necessarily saying that, uh, that, that it's going to work out this way right now.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because it says love binds all of those things together.
2: Right. Yeah. Right, which I would agree with. You know, if, if you have a, a relationship with somebody that is in a difficult point, love being a verb, by the way, one thing that I argue, you know, every chance I get, is that love is not an emotion as much as it is a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. Um, If you say, I love someone, what you're saying is, I behave in loving ways. I do things of love. I do things that are, um, I, I do things for this person or for these people or for this group that I love. If I don't follow up my words with actions, then my words are empty. And so if I say I love someone, or I love something, or I love a group, you know, God's people, then my actions, my behaviors, my choices, my decisions, um, my time has to reflect that. So I think that's the perfect bond. It, it is that, it, actually, maybe the more I think about it, the more I, we talk about this, the more I wonder if maybe this is saying that love is going to keep, Is I mean, to use a played phrase from the song, love will keep us together. <laughs> mm-hmm. In that through the struggle, through the strive, through the difficulty, through the bearing with one another, love is what will keep us together. Love will be the perfect bond. Mm. Yeah.
1: Amen.
0: And again, it's something we have to put on, which is that word again. Yeah, That, put on. that verb again. And it binds. It keeps coming up. Yeah.
1: Let me go ahead and take verse 15 says and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful this one is packed um so let so this one is relenting kind of it's like agreeing to let something else be in charge it's
2: almost relinquishing yeah control
1: exactly so you um allow the peace of christ to rule which is another verb to rule in your heart Um, And my understanding of that is that the peace of Christ is the number one deciding factor in your decisions and in your mind. Like, it's the authority. The peace of of Jesus is the authority. Um, Everything else submits to that. And we are called in one body. So called is a verb. And be. Be thankful.
0: Be thankful. Yeah. Again, a state of being. What is our state of being? Our, our state of being is gratitude, thankfulness. Yeah. So he keeps going then, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So there's that let again, something that's happening to us, something that we are allowing to happen. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So there's two verbs. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing another verb singing to god with gratitude in your hearts and so i think the the verbs here after let would be teach admonish and singing and and all of those to me are connected to things that have to do with someone outside of ourselves teaching and admonishing each other singing to god that it's this reminder i think that that Life in community, uh, this life together as God's chosen people calls me to to actions to verbs that are for the benefit of others, teaching, admonishing, loving, singing, forgiving all all of these things are are verbs or actions that are are focused on. On the community and and on other people, and ultimately then on on God for for the singing verb there.
1: I like the verb dwell. Yeah. So
2: mm, I the word one. of Christ,
1: yeah. it like rests and sits. Its domain is you. Your mind is the domain of the word of Christ. So it is abiding. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, let my words abide in you. So it's like the word of Christ has its home inside of you. It's not out of place, It's that's where it belongs.
0: Yeah, and and dwells among you, among the community. So not only does it dwell within me, but it dwells among us as, as community, as a people, yeah. All right, last verse, we've made it to the end. I don't remember, Jason, I think you're up.
2: Yeah, I think it's me. Um, and, and I, I'm more than happy to, to do this last verse. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there are three verbs. Uh, the first two of them are the verb do. Um, so whatever you do in word or deed, so uh, the the ways that you are pursuing life, that you're acting, you know, whatever your actions may be. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, and then giving thanks to God the Father. So it, it really is talking about how you live your life, how you go about life, the actions you take, and then the manner that that should have in the name of the Lord Jesus uh, giving thanks to God the Father. So, so the the doing is, um, you know, if we think about what our life is and how we are to live our life, he's saying, you know, that that the focus should be in the name of the Lord Jesus, which I think also implies um, the teachings, the exhortations, the uh, commands of Jesus while also giving thanks. So again going back to that you know giving giving gratitude. Uh you know that was talked about in verse 15. Yeah,
0: there's three references to thankfulness just in this paragraph. It's it's our state, it's it's our state of being. It's it's what's supposed to be in our heart and it's what we're supposed to give. So it's like very it's all encompassing and 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 that it's just as love binds together all these other things in perfect unity. I think gratitude for Paul and thankfulness seems to be what really kind of holds this, the, the Christian life together. I think in many ways that the way that I, the way that, that we can do this well individually and collectively is to be people of, of gratitude and, and to have that be our state of being, to have it be what's in our heart, and to have it be what we continually are, are giving to God the Father <laughs> through what we do.
2: You know, I, I, I see some themes emerging of, A, how, we're suppo- how we are being called to live our life, and then kind of, I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, the mortar of how all of that is held together. So it mentions love. And gratitude or thanks and those two concepts love and thanks um, really are at the heart of how we should do everything so Paul spends you know some amount of time going over uh, a lot of the the other points that he's making but he always comes back to do it with thanks do it with love and to me it's like you can have this wonderfully built brick house But if it doesn't have strong mortar, if it doesn't have something really um, powerful and long lasting to hold it all together, then it's not going to last. And that's what I see that that's what I see him, you know, calling us to is, yeah, do all of these good things, do things in the name of Christ, Um, you know, don't don't hold to the divisions of society the way that that you previously did don't engage in this behavior engage in that behavior but do it in love do it with thankfulness and so i i think a lot of times that's an easy thing for christians to forget that uh i you know need to teach people i need to hold what's right you know as right but we forget to do it in love we forget to have the gratitude that's required.
1: To me, I see the focus as the phrase, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the centerpiece in all of this is about Christ and he is the example. And when it says do it in the name, that means do things that are representative of who he is, um, that are worthy of bearing the name of Christ. Um, And so that is in your words, what you say and what you do, and we've already talked about thought space, what, what you choose to set your mind on. Um, so to me, I think it's kind of a catch-all that Paul was like, in case I forgot to talk about anything else, whatever you do, <laughs> word or deed, just do everything. Make sure everything you do is in following and keeping with the example we have from Jesus. And also make sure you be thankful. Signing off, guys. Like something like that, you know.
0: And, yeah. <laughs> and give thanks. Yep. That's very great. good. Um, all right. Well, good conversation. Thanks for for walking through that with us today. And I do think, as you said, Jason, you, you saw those themes develop. I I think it is walking walking through a scripture slowly like that. I do think is a way to help help see some threads and some themes that 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 come together through that. And I mean, we just saw through there how many times there's this language of putting on and taking off, and um, the the elements of of when things happen and what has already happened and how that impacts what's happening here and what will happen going forward. And all of those themes, I think we were, we were able to kind of pull out and, and see as we were slowly going through it. Uh, and, and I think really, you know, so next Sunday, we're going to kind of wrap up this, this series in Colossians with a look to a, to another book of of Philemon, which I referenced in our first podcast that we did in, in kind of conjunction with this series because I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, right after this in Colossians, Paul goes into kind of some instructions for family life or something like that. I think it says it's, you know, the wives submit to your husbands, husbands to your wives, all that kind of stuff. But I really think it's the book of Philemon that's kind of a fleshing out of, so what if, if, if someone is to live out Colossians 3, 1 through 17, what does Paul imagine that that looks like? And I think that's what, that's the, the practical picture of that is what you get in the book of Philemon, where I think that's almost him telling Philemon, all right, if you're going to take what I've said and put it into practice, here's what I think it should mean for you. <laughs> um, and so we'll get into that uh, to, to close out our sermon series that we've been going through with, with this book of Colossians. So Sounds good. Thanks for
1: all your work on that. It's yeah. been insightful.
2: Well, and Warren, I want to thank you for, uh, suggesting that we do this today. I didn't really know how it would work, but I really loved digging in, you know, doing a verse by verse, not, not just verse by verse, but really word by word, uh, Bible study of this passage. So for me personally, this was very edifying. So thank you for
0: that. Good, good. I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed it today and, um, yeah, I do think it it causes you to dig into it, and and it's the kind of thing that I do think once you once you do it more, especially once you do it with with a the same group of people, um, that it's something that that just becomes, I think, richer each each time you do it, and as you kind of learn each other and and go through that together. So maybe it's something we'll come back to at, at some point in the future on one of these one of these conversations. Well. For today, we'll close it out. I'll close us in prayer today, and uh, then we'll we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the work that you have done in us through Christ. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to pursue renewal and reconciliation uh, and peace in our lives today, in our relationships with each other. We're thankful for the hope that we have for the future because of Christ. God, may we be people of love and of gratitude as we go about our activities today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Asante.